or one of the other leaders would love to explain what baptism is because, uh, yeah, that's just a great occasion. And finally, just to say announcements-wise, we are so grateful to all those who give to the life and mission of Encounter Church uh, on a regular basis. Many people give online now, um, so please do go online and find out. We have a wonderfully put-together picturesque um, giving leaflet as well if you want to find out how you can give. Um, and on Sunday mornings at our welcome desk, we also have a box for those who would like to give on a Sunday morning, and you're very welcome to do that as well. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to invite Stuart to come up and join me. I'm going to ask him one or two questions. Let's give Stuart a big welcome. Great to have Stuart with us this morning. Is your mic on at the bottom? I think we're on. Yep, looks like it. Wonderful. There, you can hear. Wonderful, Stuart. Well, it's great to have you, Stuart. Good to be here. Yeah. Now, um, you've been in Birmingham for how long? Oh, 29 years wow. in a few weeks. Okay. okay. Where were we? Three. <laughs> and a half. <laughs> Uh, where were you before that then? So, actually, I left Bible College in 1987 and spent yeah. two and a half years in Swansea. And then Amanda and I went to High Wycombe. We were there for four years. And then we came here to Birmingham, just up the road here at CLC. Oh, OK. Yeah. So you've only been in Birmingham for 29 years then? Yes. Oh, OK. Because you picked up a bit of the accent. I don't know if you... Well, I'm from Tamworth, so I'm just... Oh, OK. This is my kind of... This area, ah, okay, so that's, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't mind being termed a Brummie, I'm very proud of Birmingham, so. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you follow one of the football teams? No. No, there you go, that's good reasons for that. It's always fatal to announce your football team, Uh, and tell everybody you're a Manchester United (laughs) fan, you know, it's uh, it's not good news, is it, see, there you go. Who are they, who are they? Classic. Wonderful. So tell us a bit about uh, your role, Stuart. Yeah, so uh, six and a half years ago, when I was asked by the then new general superintendent to whether or not I'd be willing to leave CLC and pioneer this, this kind of new role, kind of new role. It used to be known as field superintendents, now okay. known as director of ministry. So my responsibilities really relate to anything that has anything to do with our 700 ministers across the country, yeah. how people access our ministry, how they apply, how they're selected, yeah. how they're trained, their well-being, discipline... Um, so, in many ways, and leadership in the local church, it's quite a broad role yeah, to, yeah. to relate to anything that helps our ministers develop and grow their lives as local church leaders yeah. or evangelists or chaplains or whatever they might be yeah, doing. Yeah. So, you get a big feel then, what's going on in mm. Elim. How many churches are there in Elim? We've got about 500 churches across 500 the UK. Churches. Yeah. And what is, what's exciting you at the moment? I think actually coming back after COVID, which was kind of, you feel like, was it, did, was it real? Did it really happen? Was it just a dream we had? Yeah. It's really amazing to see how churches are coming back. I think yeah. a lot of churches found that some people drifted, but they saw people come through online services. Yeah. I think that our churches are more, more committed to being engaged digitally, but also with their communities. We're mm-hmm. aware at the moment the huge needs across our communities mm-hmm. financially, and so many of our churches, like you here, are really committed to helping people in their communities. And ultimately, the gospel is not just something that we talk and sing about yeah, here. Yeah. It's something we do every yeah, day absolutely. out there. Yeah, yeah. So on a weekly basis, what do you find yourself getting up to? Oh, it's a whole range of things. Yeah, yeah. But, but often, there's, there's, there's a lot of Zoom meetings with pastors or various teams that I lead. Um, you know, I have a broader role as part of the national leadership team as well. So as you can imagine... If there's a crisis happens, there's all of a sudden things like that. But generally speaking, I I really work in to help our 90 MITs across the country. They're ministering training. training, Yeah, Yeah, people who are working towards ordination. So the systems that help support them in those three years 
um, a, a lot of pastoral support, coaching and mentoring of leaders, yeah, yeah. things like that. They're the things I love, and then the, the obvious load of administration that goes oh, okay. today with any role, as you well know, in church leadership. Yeah. So there's about 90 ministers in training, are there? Yeah, That's really yeah. exciting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah really yeah, good. Yeah. So you've been in Birmingham for 29 years, and you used to lead the church about half a mile from here. That's right. How, many, how long did you spend leading CLC? 22 and a half 22, years. Yeah. So this is the first time you preach here? It is, what it hell? is, yeah. You're the first pastor that really likes me. Well, I think... I didn't really know you, Stuart. I wasn't really... No, no. <laughs> no, delighted. I've heard uh, Stuart speak many times, so uh, uh, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, we're really delighted that you're no, here, you. here today. So I'm going to hand over to Stuart in a moment, but uh, just while we get set up, just going to invite you to just say hello to one, two people if you would like to do that. You don't have to do that. You can feel free for the next 90 seconds to get up, stretch your legs, turn around, say hello to somebody, and then we'll be back in a few moments. Wonderful. So we get a chance to uh, chat and fellowship and have uh, coffee and biscuits at the end. That'll be wonderful. Just for pray for Stuart and hand over. Just one thing I forgot to mention about the 40 Days with Jesus series, of course. We are encouraging people or inviting people to join our connect groups over that particular series as well, that we can share together what we've been learning, follow up from the Sunday mornings. So if you're in a connect group, then you, this will already be covered. If you're not part of a connect group but would like to for five or six weeks or four out of six weeks, um, then please feel free to sign up at the back. Um, so there'll be connect groups available on Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, and also Wednesday morning. So I hope you got that. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evenings, and Wednesday morning, if you're not part of a connect group but would like to for a few weeks, then just put your name down. We won't just put you in one. We'll talk to you first. And then if we find a place for you and one that you feel settled for those few weeks. Please don't miss out. This is just a, for the whole 40 days series. Um, so we're going to gather on a Sunday morning, the devotions and the connect groups. They all fit together really well. So let's pray for Stuart uh, before he shares this morning. Lord, we do thank you that uh, every day we can be with you. Thank you that every day you're with us. Lord, we thank you that you continually love to speak to us, to open our eyes, to inspire us, to equip us, uh, to, to move us forward, to minister to us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Stuart, Lord. Thank you for who he is. Thank you for what you place on his heart. And we pray that you'll bless him. Pray that he would know your pleasure as he ministers to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's nice to see some faces I do know around the place. Hopefully get a chance to say hello to you afterwards. My apologies on behalf of my wife, Amanda. She's visiting her mum in South Wales. She's 90 now, not Amanda, a mum. And um, <laughs> though she feels like it's sometimes living with me, I'm sure. And so she takes an opportunity sometimes um, to, to go back and just check in on her mum. But she'd love to have been with us, but maybe on another occasion if I do okay this morning. You never know, do you really? It's just great to be with you. I want to talk to you today about, about seeing Jesus. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Seeing Jesus. Back in 2004, some of you remember a film that was released called The Passion of the Christ. It was an incredible film. It was known most significantly for the graphic portrayal, really, of the torture and the crucifixion of Christ. And I, I remember it vividly because at CLC up the road, we, uh, we hired one of the screens down at the cinema in Rubri and, 
and uh, invited lots of people to come. And I'm kind of sitting as it gets the crucifixion and suddenly thought, oh my goodness me, you know, I didn't realise it was this graphic. But the actor who played Jesus was a guy called Jim Caviezel. And uh, he famously said this, I don't want people to see me, I want people to see Jesus. It must be really difficult for an actor to play the role of Jesus. And a number of people have over the years, you look back over some of the great Cecil B. DeMille classics, if some of you remember those, like The Robe, etc. But you remember the, the film in the 1970s, those who were old enough, Jesus of Nazareth, where Jesus was played by Robert Powell. I remember a few years ago, we had a, a national leadership team meeting at a hotel in Malvern. We'd moved a meeting down to Malvern. It was quite an important meeting. We were all a bit tense about this important meeting. And I was walking through the dining room to our meeting room with the, our then general superintendent, John Glass, and noticed Robert Powell, the actor who played Jesus, having breakfast. And I nudged John and said, it's okay, Jesus is here, we'll be all right. And um, I suppose for somebody playing the part of Jesus, that's a real challenge. And interestingly, Robert Powell, some years after he played that role, he made a plea through the national press for people to take pictures of him down in their churches. Because people thought, surely Jesus looked that good. If you remember, he had those lovely eyes, glassy eyes. and He felt so conscious that people had pictures in their churches of him with a crown of thorns, thinking that it was Jesus. I'm sure he felt, I can't live up to that. And so we pled that people would take down those pictures. But the reality is that none of us really know what Jesus is like. And if you've been to the National Gallery in London or the Tate Gallery, you may see some of those classic you know, medieval portraits of Jesus or paintings of him. But in real terms, wouldn't it be great to see his face? Wouldn't it be great to see the outline and the features of Jesus? But we can't do that. If I asked you to close your eyes and to imagine a picture of Jesus, you might, just like me, just see that darkness and those little floaties that go around your eyes, you know, when you do that. Because it's not possible, really. But if we could see Jesus, what would we love to see? I suppose we'd love to see what he looks like and be able to describe his features, the texture of his skin, you know, what it was like, what was the colour of his hair, you know. I don't think Jesus was blonde when he was born, you know, in Palestine in the first century. Would we like to see him smiling at us? I'd love that. Smile says a, a million things, doesn't it? Would we actually just actually like to see him reaching his hand as if to say, whatever you need, I can give to you? Or would we be sitting uncomfortably some of us thinking, you know, I, I close my eyes, I try to see Jesus and I see nothing God-like at all. It's just a bit of a blur. Well, I want to try to help you see Jesus today. Is that okay? I want to share some things with you that I think might help you to realise that though we can't see his face, we can very much see him clearly. And the first thing I want to say to you today that is that seeing Jesus is more than simply seeing Jesus now, that seems like an oxymoron, I'm sure. Seems a bit of a confusing statement. But let me tell you what I mean when I say seeing Jesus is more than simply seeing Jesus. So what I'm saying is seeing Jesus is more than seeing what he looks like. It's seeing who he is. Because true beauty, true beauty, not the kind of beauty the fashion industry tells us, or the cosmetic industry tells us, true beauty is not in how a person looks, but who they are. I happen to believe that I have the most beautiful wife in the world. 
If I said anything less than that, I probably wouldn't have a wife at all. But she is. She's beautiful. Many of you know my wife. She's stunning. And that's what first attracted her to me. It was clearly my money that attracted her to me. But she's beautiful. But actually, over 34 years of marriage and 38 years of being in relationship with her, I've learned she's more than just the beautiful woman that I see, her face. I know her nature. I know her kindness and her generosity. I know that she'd just go a million miles to help somebody else. I know that she's tolerant. Why are you laughing at that one? Because I know who she is. And I could spend a lot more time waxing lyrical about who Amanda is than how Amanda looks. Because when you truly love somebody, you can look beyond the surface of their appearance into the reality of their nature, who they really are. I want to say today that Jesus is always more than we will ever see. If we could see his face, even if we can, as we hope to explore in these few moments, see more of the reality of who Jesus is in nature, he's always going to be more than. If we could capture all of those images... If we spent some time with paper and pen and I gave you 15 minutes to write down all the things about Jesus that tell you who he is. And we gathered them together and we read them all out. He's more than all of that. If we did that for everybody in the city of Birmingham that knows and loves him. In the nation. In the nations. He's always more than that. But you know we see him every time we pick up our Bibles. I've made a deliberate act recently to start bringing my Bible back to church with me. Sounds crazy, but I'm a kind of an iPad preacher recently, but I started to realise how few people bring their Bibles to church anymore. When I was a kid, wearing my little suit, going to my Elim church with a little tie on elastic, we always carried our Bibles, and I'm not criticising, but I hope it's not descriptive of the fact that we don't ever pick it up day by day. Because I want to say to you, every time you pick up this book, you'll see Jesus. He is the living word of God. And I'm so grateful to God for the Gospels. I'm reading Matthew's Gospel in my own devotional life at the moment and loving and enjoying it. I don't know if some of you have heard of the, um, a recent series of, of, of a series of broadcasts, I suppose you'd call them, about the life of Jesus called The Chosen. And I really recommend it. If you're an iPad user or a tablet or a phone, you can use it. There's a sim- an app, a free app called The Chosen. And I really recommend it. I'm able to link my iPad to our TV and you could probably do it with your phone and watch it. It's this fantastic series about the life of Jesus. And Amanda and I quite a while ago watched series one and we just got back into watching series two. And they're filming series three or finishing at the moment. And in the first part of series one last week, we find this scene where John, the disciple, who's told everybody, by the way, that he was the disciple Jesus really loved. He's taking notes and he's interviewing all the other disciples. And he's interviewing Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she says to him, John, John, why are you doing this? He says, because I've got to get it all down. And I think, what a brilliant image of how the gospel was written. And she said, but why now? And he says, Because I'm forgetting what his voice sounded like. And I think sometimes that's the way some of us find in our experience with God. We've had these real moments where we've experienced and encountered Jesus. But the truth is the longer we live, if they're not fresh, we forget the sound of his voice and the look of his smile. 
Jesus himself says to the disciples when Philip asked him a question in John 14 verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Because to see Jesus is to see the Father. And that's why we teach people in the very early stages of their walk with God. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. Read those Gospels. Listen to the words. Look at his reactions to broken and hurting and needy people. Look at he deals with those who make life difficult for others, who are judgmental. Look at Jesus and you see God because he is God. He's God carrying flesh so that he can associate with our experience but show us who God is. And yet seeing him is difficult for some of us, isn't it? We're blind to Jesus, friends, when we're purely focused on ourselves. When our gaze is on our own needs and the insularity of concerns just about us, we're so often blind to the reality of Jesus. We're blind to Jesus when our lives are not in the condition they should be. When we're overwhelmed with, with guilt and condemnation because we know we've been making some mistakes and yet that's the moment we need to see the Jesus who bends to us in grace and love. And we're blind to Jesus when our attention is elsewhere. And we're focused on lots of other things but the reality of Jesus. And I want to say to you today, it's possible to see Jesus even when we haven't seen him. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, Jesus says to the disciples, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. He's talking about us, by the way. He's saying to the disciples, you've seen me. That's, I mean, let's be honest. How could somebody not believe in Jesus when they saw what they saw? You know, the dead raised and the leper healed and arms straightened and women with problems they'd had for 12 years, personal problems suddenly healed because they just touched the edge of his garment and Jairus' daughter raised up. And How could you not believe in him? He says, you see me and you believe. But actually, those who haven't seen me but believe are more blessed. That's us today, folks. We've seen him even though we've not seen his face. And I want you to know today it's also possible to love Jesus without ever seeing him. Peter, the disciple who spoke most of all the disciples, writes a letter or somebody wrote it on his behalf more, more likely, but he says this, that though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I know you'd love to see him in your problem at the moment, but even if you can't, you can still love him. But I also want you to know today that seeing Jesus is not a visual image, it's an inner encounter. The reason many people don't get to see Jesus is because their hearts are just not in the right condition. They've closed off their hearts. They've shut it down. So we're so consumed with the pain and difficulty we're experiencing and we don't want to belittle that. But when we're so consumed with ourselves and we've shut our hearts down, we're not open to the revelation that we need to see the reality of Jesus for ourselves. Because when we talk about seeing Jesus, we're not expecting a picture to come on the screen. That would be great, wouldn't it? If, we, if God did a selfie from heaven for us. 
Let's have a FaceTime with Encounter Church, Selly Oak. Shut up, Stuart. I want to say something. Fair enough, Lord. I'll willingly do that if I could see you. And up there comes the face of Jesus. I wonder what our reaction might be. I think we'd do what you were leading us in, Isaac. I think we'd just fall on our faces and say, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. But I believe the Father wants us to have a consistently deep revelation on the canvas of our hearts of who Jesus really is. Because most of us will go our whole entire life and never see him. I love those stories. I've read a number of them. Those accounts of people quite often in the Muslim world who see Jesus in a dream, speaking to them, and he's calling them out of that particular life and place. And they're remarkable stories. And I believe they happen. Genuinely believe they happen. Because I believe God can speak in dreams and visions. But I've never had one of those. But I've seen him. Because seeing Jesus happens as we focus the gaze of our souls on eternal things that transcend this life when we look beyond where we're at. For example, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 18, The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's amazing how we, as human beings, are so transfixed with our three-dimensional world. I mean, our world can be a beautiful place, I've had the privilege of travelling to most of the continents, to, to every continent, to certain nations, and seeing some of the most wonderful things. But you know what? The dimension that I do not see now outshines anything I've seen on this planet. And so often we don't see because of where our attention is fixed on the temporary things, on the unreal things. Amanda and I are part of the Elim Church in Hales Owen, Life Central Church. That's where we're based and we travel all around. And um, for the last, about a year in, we decided we needed to do what I'd been preaching for all those years and join a connect group because it was just proving difficult to engage. And so we did that and we've been part of a connect group now for over five years and got some great friendships. And over the last few days, we've been praying for Mick. Mick's been losing weight without any kind of explanation. He's been quite ill for some time and then he was rushed into hospital on Friday. And the doctors made a diagnosis, but it was too late. I got a text, a message our group did at quarter past eight this morning. Mick's gone home. And we were all exchanging messages because we just loved Mick. He'd lost his wife to cancer about five or six years ago just before we met him and Lovely, godly Christian man. Just a lovely man. Fulfilled a dream in November going on a tour to Israel, even though he's very weak. He's now seeing what I've only dreamt of. He's realising that this temporary world should not get as much attention from us as sometimes we give it. That somehow we have to find, and we do it in our worship, and we do it when we engage with God. 
When we can lift our eyes and say, I was born for something more than just this. I was born again for something more than just this. More than the problems I'm facing. Can I lift my eyes above that to, for an inter- internal, an internal encounter with who Jesus is? Encounter church. He's calling you to an inner encounter with the reality of Jesus that changes how you live externally and in our community. Sometimes my wife looks at me and she says, I can see what you're thinking. And I think, you can't see what I'm thinking because I'm not thinking. (laughs) And the problem is, ladies, you think we're thinking something, but most of the time as men, we're not actually thinking what you think we're thinking because we're not thinking anything at all. Because we don't think as well as you think. But she says, I can see you thinking. What a ridiculous statement for an intelligent woman to make. I can see you thinking. I can't see me thinking. I'll go to the mirror. I can't see me thinking. Can you see me thinking, Phil? I've got a clue what you're saying. She says, I can see you, what you're thinking. Well, you must be superhuman then. Well, I must be then, because I can see what you're thinking. I ain't got a clue what she means. Now, she can't see words scrolling on my forehead. But she can see in my body language, in my facial expressions. She can almost hear it in the tone of my voice. And you know what the worst thing is, fellas? She's right, she can see what I'm thinking. (laughs) So you don't only see with your eyes. You see with your other experiences, your other senses. And the same is true when we're saying we really want to see Jesus. We want to see God at work in my lives. I want to see where he is. You're not going to necessarily have an image in in front of you. But if you would open your eyes, you'll see God at work. You'll see God in the atmosphere around your lives. You'll see God in the blessings and the goodness and the generosity you're experiencing. You'll see him in his provision. You'll see him in his kindness. You'll see him in his mercy and his faithfulness. We're seeing Jesus all the time. If we would just open our inner eyes, the eyes of our heart, then we can actually see him. Because explaining that is so difficult when it's such a heart thing. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. What's Jesus saying? I'll tell you how you'll see me. I'm sending the Spirit. You need to understand that the distinct persons of the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit, are united completely. When we speak of Jesus acting, we're speaking of a connectedness that the Spirit, Jesus and the Father act together. One will, one way. There's no division amongst them. So Jesus says to the disciples on one occasion, it's better for you that I go away. How? I mean, you're the guy that helps us pay taxes by taking us fishing. We go fishing, we open a fish's mouth and there's the tax. You're the guy that can take three tuna sandwiches and turn them into a feast for 5,000 people. I mean, you're the guy. 
who even heals my mother-in-law when I wasn't asking. How could it be possibly better for us that you're leaving? Because Jesus says, since I took flesh, I'm in this place at this moment. But when the Spirit comes, he'll be with every one of you at every moment. So Jesus is with you through the Spirit in you, in your life. Jesus is not in your heart. Paul prays that he will be in your hearts by faith in Ephesians 3. He's not in your heart. He's occupying a throne in the presence of God, praying for you. But the Spirit, who is co-equal and co-existent and co-eternal with the Father, is in you. So where, how do you see Jesus? By looking inside to the Spirit who's within who comes to make Jesus known. Jesus says of the Spirit in John 14, he will take what is mine and make it known to you. So you see Jesus when you experience the Spirit. He's bringing the reality of Jesus to our lives. And though we don't see him through our eyes, we see him in our spiritual experience of him. So open your heart to the Holy Spirit and you'll see Jesus. Reach deeper for the things of the Spirit and you'll see Jesus because he's going to make Jesus known to you the more you experience of him. And the great news, this is my final point. (laughs) In seeing Jesus, we see who we really are. Have you ever heard someone say, I've had an epiphany? It's a great phrase, isn't it? Epiphany. Brilliant on a Scrabble board because P is three points. Epiphany. Of course, we know that actually in many countries, particularly in Eastern Europe, they celebrate Christmas Day on the 6th of January, on Epiphany, because it's the day that it's believed that the wise men arrived at the house where Jesus was as a very small baby with his mother, earthly mother and father. But of course, Epiphany has other meanings. It means an appearance or manifestation of a deity. It's it's a sudden perception or insight into the reality of something, if, in essence, an epiphany is a moment of revelation where something you didn't quite grasp, suddenly you do. Do you know what? There's never been a day in my life when I have not believed in God. I was privileged to be born into a Christian family, into an Elim church. I used to go there from, I'm sure, within a few days of being born, I was going to church through Sunday school and youth and all of that, just up the road here in Tamworth, just northeast of here. And I had the privilege, really, and never a moment in my life have I not believed that there's a God. But some people here, that's not been their story. It may not be your story today. For you, you had an epiphany. Something happened in your life at a moment where the God you didn't believe in suddenly becomes real. You may have seen in somebody's life or in their story, you may have come to church, you may have been on an alpha course, or somehow you say... There's something here, and I need to pursue this a little bit. It may have been an instant. It may have been progressive. But there was a moment in time where the light was switched on in a dark room. And wow, I saw it. Jesus is real. He's real to me. Oh, what a moment. Oh, what a moment of revelation. I saw the truth of all of this. And then everything else started to fall into place and make sense. Like finding things in a room you'd stumbled through. What I want to say to you today is that we need those constant moments, those epiphanies, those revelations, those those moments where suddenly we become more and more aware of the reality of who Jesus is. Because in those moments, we discover who we are. 
We discover in the first instance who we were created to be. In Genesis 1 verse 26, which describes those moments where God brings the world, the order and the, the planet and vegetation and animal and all those incredible moments into being the creation of mankind. You see, we need to understand that the world was not created by a scientist. It wasn't a laboratory experience. It wasn't seeing what different types of vegetation I could create, how many different animals. No, no, all the colours and the textures and the sound. The world was built by a father who was creating a nursery for his kids. When my firstborn, Matthew, was born, we were living in High Wycombe. I remember Amanda and I, we bought some embossed Humpty Dumpty wallpaper. We put it on and we put a cot in there and we put a, 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 a mobile thing over the top and we put a, a border around the middle. You know those days when we had wallpaper and borders around the middle. We created an environment. And when God created the planets and he created the world, it wasn't a scientific experiment. It was a father saying, I want to create a world that you'll enjoy of colour and sound and taste and smell and touch. Such an exciting, extravagant explosion of creativity. And then he said, let us make man in our image. In our likeness he made them. And God was not saying that we look like him because he actually took our form in the person of Jesus. No, he's saying there's something of eternity that's in us. The writer to Ecclesiastes says that God has sown eternity into the hearts of men. So every human being is an eternal being, which means every one of us will spend eternity, life beyond life, life beyond death, somewhere. The choice as to where we spend it is determined with the decision we take in this life about Jesus. We're either going to spend it with him or separated from him. I don't know what hell will look like. All I know that it will be hell to not be with Jesus for all eternity. And God says, you were made to be like me. And the writer to the Roman church, Paul, when he writes the letter in Romans 8, says that God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. God is trying to make us like Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. Not to look like Jesus is, but to be as Jesus is. He's not trying to shape my image to represent Jesus because we all look so different. But he is trying to shape my character to be like Jesus. My heart, my inclinations. The mould is Jesus because the Father wants me to look like him. But we also know when we truly see Jesus, we know that we will one day be like him. We'll see who we will one day be. Dear friends, Paul says in 1 John 3, so John says in 1 John 3 2, dear friends, we are already God's children. That's good news, isn't it? But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. One of Hans Christian Andersen's most famous children's stories is that of the ugly duckling. I have two granddaughters, one who's nearly four and one who's nearly two. And one of the great delights is to, to read stories to them and the fascination. 
In The Ugly Duckling, Hans Christian Andersen tells the story of this little chick who finds itself shaking out these tardy brown feathers and um, just, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be accepted. And then its feathers turns grey and it's among these, these ducks swimming around and nobody likes it and they all shun this duck. They just don't want to be near this duck because, you know, and all of a sudden it's ostracised, it's pushed to one side and it just swims off on its way and it comes around a corner and it sees those regal royal swans reaching out their wings and all of a sudden it shakes its leaves out and it's suddenly found home. And it realises all along it was never meant to be stuck with those ducks. It was meant to fly with the swans. The regal and royal identity of a swan. Did you know that every swan in this country is under the protection of our king? It's a law in this country. That's why you can't harm a swan. But there's a lovely image in that. Of the royal regal connection. You see, the reality is we weren't meant to swim around in this tardy pool of life. We were meant for something greater because to see Jesus is to be like him and to be like Jesus is to know the royalty that is ours as sons and daughters of God. So Paul says that, no, if any man's in Christ, we are a new creation. But he says, you know, that I found out that I am like Christ. That my inheritance is not just to be like him, but to be with him for all eternity. And when we see Jesus we start to see that this is who God called and made us to be. And that the confines of this world are not designed to limit us, even though they do test us. That's why I say seeing Jesus is seeing who we truly are, because we're seeing who God sees us as. I'm old enough to remember some of the songs we used to sing in Edom churches years ago. One of them my nan used to love singing, which was simply to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask, to be like him. All through life's journey, from earth to glory, all I ask to be like him. And there was another one which we're going to sing together, don't worry. I'm going to lead them in it, Isaac. You're all right, you're too young. You do know, but you do know this one because it's been done by many people. But it's the secrecy to be like Jesus. You have to turn your eyes upon Jesus to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you want to be like Jesus, then we have to turn our eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory Ah, come on, let's sing it just once more as our prayer this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grave. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Hebrew writer says, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on high, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's my prayer for you today. The Father, each of us today, would find a fresh desire in our lives to turn our gaze towards Jesus. We cannot see his face, but we do know him. We can see him and know him more and more as we turn to him Turn our hearts to him. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's never yet surrendered their life to Jesus, I pray in this moment for an epiphany, a revelation of the reality of Jesus, their saviour, the one who saves, who brings us back into living and loving relationship with you, Father. Because in that moment, everything changes. And we know not just who we were meant to be, but who you one day will enable us to be. And I pray as we just spend these moments, in these final moments, we're here together. Lift our gaze, Holy Spirit, towards Jesus. That's why you live within us, to help turn our gaze daily towards Jesus so that in the light of his face, we will experience your goodness and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.